Hey, let's pray together. Father, we, we do thank you that, that you really are the final word and that everything is resting on your shoulders, including us here tonight. And I pray that if there uh, is a lack of belief in that truth here present tonight, I pray that you will stamp that out and you will create in us a church of belief that you have ultimate power and ultimate authority, even over that thing that we might be coming in and dealing with tonight. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help us to, to know that authority tonight, know your affections for us, know your love for us more fully here tonight. And, and the kids, God, I pray that you will create in them a movement out there in the kids' barn. I pray that you'll create a movement of gratitude and repentance and belief in how good and strong you really are. And so, Father, we, we trust in you tonight. Do what you do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, you all are dismissed to Kids Barn. Enjoy. Have a great and wonderful time. Hey, and as they're doing that, I would love to introduce to you all somebody that you probably already know, but just in case you don't, uh, Stephen McKay is here with us tonight. Stephen is one of our missions partners um, he has come and spoken here several times, done a wonderful job. We're blessed every time that he makes his way here. I would love to pray for you specifically as you make your way up here, and then I'll hand it over to him. Father, I pray for Stephen here tonight. I pray that you will um, take the words from his mouth before he can utter them. Holy Spirit, intervene in this place here tonight. Speak to us in maybe a new way. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stephen, it's all yours. Amen. Thank, thank you, Dallas. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Everybody doing well? Amen. Praise God. We've been extremely busy, as we always are, and I'm sure your summer's been full. Um, I think since the last time I was here, I've been to Missouri and Nebraska and Colorado and California and Alabama and Nevada. And so it's been uh, round and round, and I want you to pray with me uh, this coming, the end of October, uh, I'll be traveling to Kenya to open up our church, the church that we've helped build. Uh, my crusade director, you've not met him yet, uh, but maybe one of these days you guys will get to meet Ben, uh, but we've, we've helped him over the last year and a half to build a church. It seats about 1,500 people, and so it's going to be a tremendous grand opening uh, in Homabe, Kenya. That's the, October, November the 5th, we'll be there. And then I travel from there to Egypt to meet up with some uh, Egyptian friends of ours that have opened a door for us into the nation of Turkey. And I can't really talk much about it, especially if this is Facebook Live, but just be in prayer for us because it's a tremendous door, a tremendous door. There's a, uh, there's a movement going on in the Arab world. Jesus is really moving in the midst of, of the lives of Muslim people. And I'm just honored to be able to go in and, and uh, just be with them. Amen? I would, if you would stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. As I began last week, maybe a week and a half ago, contemplating where the Lord would have us go tonight, this Wednesday night, the Lord just arrested my heart with this thought. And, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, over your tenure, over your, your life as a Christian, you have touched on uh, certain of these things, but uh, hopefully tonight I'll bring something to you that might be a blessing to you. 
um, when, I, when the Lord just brought all of this to me, it was, it was life-changing, honestly. It was literally life-changing. So we're going to go to John chapter 17 and verses number 3. And uh, I'm just going to read this, John 17, verses 3 out of the ESV. I normally have it in the King James, and it's very similar to the ESV, but if you would pull that up, John 17, verses 3, and this is eternal life. The King James actually has that flipped, and this is life eternal. Everybody say life eternal. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Let's go to Psalms chapter 9 and verses number 10. It says, and those who know your name, everybody say your name. Those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken them that have sought you or that seek you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time, this privilege of God to be with these people at Grace Meadows. I ask you, God, that you'd help me unpack what you've put in my heart for them tonight. Pray, Lord, that it would just come forth in a meaningful way, Lord, that they might never look at you in the same light. I pray, Father, you'd be with us and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to us tonight about the titles of Jehovah. And there's a reason why I've titled that. A book came to me uh, about maybe eight years ago called that, The Titles of Jehovah by H.W. Uh, Webb Peplo. He wrote it in 1906, I believe it was. And as he began to kind of just extract all this information about God, I began to go through it, and the Lord just began to change my life. And this message really is titled, Jehovah Elohim. If you're taking notes, it would be a good time to take notes. Jehovah Elohim. And I pray that as this comes forth, you might understand God in a way that you've never heard it before. But there's a direct correlation to the actual knowing of a person in connection to the name by which one is called. I don't know if any of you ever, have ever met or heard of a man by the name of Matt Lorenzen. If you have, immediately in your mind, there's things that come to your mind about him. It's not so much the name, but it's the character of the person that you know that's behind that name. We can name a lot of people tonight in this church, and you'd say, oh, I know him, or I know her, or, I know them. Certain merit is ascribed to an individual based according to the witness or testimony of others about him or her. We ascribe characteristics or different traits to people that, uh, you know, that I guess their, their, their witness or their testimony shares about them. If somebody's a gossip, a person that gossips a lot, that's the first thing that's going to come to your mind when you hear their name. If there's somebody given to humility or meekness or servanthood, that's the first thing that's going to come to your mind when you think about that person. It's, it's attributes of character that come to you when you think about them. If I was to call on somebody, you know, maybe, I don't know if you've ever heard of Billy Graham before, but if you have, you automatically assume or you've got things in your mind that you know about him. What about Fanny Crosby? I don't know if any of you know who Fanny Crosby was. Uh, maybe some of you, those of you that don't know who Fanny Crosby was, uh, it's incredible, just her testimony. Uh, she, was, she was almost born blind. She was six weeks old when she went completely blind and uh, lived her whole life in complete, I guess, with no sight. And somebody came up to her and said, Fanny, you know, she wrote 8,000 hymns. Think about that in her life, 8,000 hymns. And somebody came up to her and said, you know, Fanny, you're, you're at a great disadvantage. Why would God do this to you? And she said, what are you talking about? I'm at a much greater advantage than you. And she said, they said, what do you, what do you mean, how? 
How are you at a greater advantage than us? We see the stars, the moon, the planets. We see all this stuff. You haven't seen anything. You haven't even seen the people, the face of the people you love. She said, but don't you understand? I'm still at a greater advantage than you. And they said, we just, we don't understand how. And she said, don't you realize that his face will be the first I see? Perspective. His face will be the first I see. So Fanny Crosby, you know, you can think about that person and things come to your mind. But if I give you another name, maybe Jeffrey Epstein, we won't talk about him. Things come to your mind about him, right? Ghislaine Maxwell, anybody know who I'm talking about? Things come to your mind about the character and nature, the testimony of others that, are, that surround that name. If I was to call all these people, name itself upon the onset of life has little meaning. When you name your child, there's, there's little behind it. And you know what, we named our children certain things because of people we knew or, or characteristics of, of what they, they want, I wanted them to be developed into. But when you first, a newborn baby comes out of the womb and you name that baby, there's, there's little attributes tied to it because we don't know the personality yet. We don't know what they're going to be like. If you told me, you know, if I told you uh, Grant McKay, he's my middle son, immediately my mind goes to crazy, you know, he's nuts. <laughs> he's like his dad, he's just, you know. And then Ezekiel, I would say compassionate, he's my littlest boy, uh, he's six. Bentley, very analytical, things that would come to me, but when we first named them, we didn't know what they were going to be like. And so in, in that, name itself upon the onset of life has little meaning, but as you progress through your years, an understanding of who you are by nature emerges. It comes out of your nature of who you are. So really when they call your name, they're actually bringing to remembrance who you are, your attributes and your character. Well, let's look at the names of God. And I could be here till next week, Dallas. You might need to take the microphone. But uh, there's so much to be said. This is something that is so absolutely deep, and we're going to get into it in a, in a short amount of time, hopefully. Eternal study of God. Uh, the text that we read, John 17 and 3, it says, this is life eternal. Not so much that this is eternal life. We know that Christ has given us eternal life, but it's really the study of God. And this is life eternal that they know you. And so for the rest of our existence, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, the rest of your life and throughout eternity is going to be a constant learning, a constant coming to an understanding of Christ forever and ever and ever. When we get to heaven, we're not going to just have everything revealed. It's going to be a constant learning and developing a, a knowledge of Christ. We know that eternal life flows and originates with the Father. But in context of this verse, we, we, will, we, will, we will be learning Christ for eternity. It's a little thing to say in this age that most Christians do not know the person of God. In 2022, it is no small thing to say that majority of our, of our, our, our Christian, I guess, uh, community doesn't really know the personhood of God, the depth of who God really is. We don't really know God as He's revealed in His names, though He has spe specially revealed them unto us by His Spirit in order that we might know the deep things of God which the Spirit searches out. He wants us to know Him in a way so much deeper than just, you know, we think about God and it's just, well, He's here for my salvation and He's given me grace and He's given me forgiveness, but it's greater than that. It's so much deeper than that. And I pray that I can bring some light to you tonight. The prophet Hosea 
uh, had one great indictment against the children of Israel of his day, and the same charge can be brought up against our generation without question. I'm an evangelist. I travel and preach all over the place, and it's no question that this fits us. It says in Hosea chapter 4, verses 6, he said that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It's that we do not understand the truth of the Word of God. We don't really understand the nature of God. If we understood and really knew who God was, most of the foolishness that goes on in our churches would not be there. Think about it. Most of it would not, would not exist. Just the image of Jesus alone in the book of Revelation should make us have a more reverential approach to him and his church. You know, we, we have this idea that Christ is some effeminate, limp-wristed, weak pushover. And Hollywood has done a great job. When you think about Jesus, it's this image of him that he's just, you know, he doesn't have much strength. Yes, there's compassion in his face, but I believe that Jesus was a man's man. I'm going to prove it to you from the book of Revelation. We won't read all this. I'll just kind of give you a synopsis of what Revelation chapter 1 verses 12 through 17 says. This is what John said. John said, I was on the island of Patmos for, for uh, the Lord's sake in persecution. I was being persecuted, and I don't have enough time to talk about that. But I was, in, I was being persecuted for the Lord's sake, and he said, I saw him. Can you imagine what John saw? He said, I saw him, and this is what I saw. It's not so much what Hollywood has depicted for us as Christ. He said, this is what I saw. This is what Jesus looks like. His head and his hair were like wool, white like wool. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Uh, his feet was like burned brass. His voice was like many waters. His hand held the seven stars. Do you know what the seven stars were? They were a representation of the seven churches of Asia Minor. In his hand, he held all the churches and then out of his mouth, the Bible says, when a double-edged sword, face as bright as the sun. And the Bible says, in Revelation chapter, I believe it's chapter 1, John said, I fell as dead before him. I fell as a dead man. I couldn't even get up. And so when we really think about Christ and his kingdom, who Christ really is, he's not some limp-wristed pushover of a, of a savior, but he is all of that that John saw in the book of Revelation. He said, I was overwhelmed, so overwhelmed that I fell on my face as dead. Any place in Scripture, you can go Old Testament, New Testament, and you'll find that every time any man had a literal, almost face-to-face -face meeting with Christ in his transfigured glory, they fell at their face. They fell on their face before him. They fell. And Isaiah said, I saw him, and I said, woe is me, I'm undone. A man of unclean lips, I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Let's keep going. John's response should bring us a sobriety to our current approach to Christ and his kingdom. There's so much that goes on that if we really understood the gravity of who we're dealing with, there'd be a, a greater, I guess, respect for him, you know? But to begin our study as we begin, okay, this has got to start at the beginning. You ready? I told you Dallas might be wild. To begin our study on the names of God, and this is just the beginning because it, can, it, it would be weeks into months of really studying this. To begin our study in the names of God, we, we have to begin at the beginning, of course. Over the course of this study, this is really just what I wrote in here. I focus on nine of the names of God revealed in, to us in sequence. Follow me. Follow me closely. In sequence, God reveals himself as he, we go through Scripture as we need him. The sequence of his names come to us from the very beginning all the way through as mankind needed something else. God became what we needed. And I'll explain. The first one, as we're going to talk about tonight, is Jehovah Elohim. 
And then it goes in, which means the Lord is our God. And it's just, man, I could be here all night. It's incredible when you think about it. Second one is Jehovah Jireh. And these things, you know, we have pictures and posters on our wall and things that we see on Facebook. But Jehovah Jireh, it means the Lord will provide. Then the third one, Jehovah Rophi, is the Lord, our healer. This is all built up within the name of who God is, the character of who, is, who God is to you and I. Jehovah Rophi is our healer. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, is my banner. Jehovah Mekadishkim is the Lord that sanctifies. Man, I could run around the building when I get to Jehovah Mekadishkim. Do you know why? Because there's no amount of us striving for holiness that's going to produce perfect holiness in our life. But God said, because you have to be holy, don't worry. My name is Jehovah Mekadishkim. I cover you with my holiness. You don't have to strive for perfection. I'm Jehovah Mekadishkim. I don't have time. All right, the, the sixth one is Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord brings peace. The seventh one is Jehovah Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd. Oh, that's a good one. They're all good. Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is my righteousness. It's not in what we try to produce, but Christ himself is righteousness unto me. I hope, you're, I hope I'm not boring you. Jehovah Shammah. This is incredible. He kind of sums it all up with Jehovah Shammah, and that means the Lord is always there, always with us. So let's start tonight with Jehovah Elohim, and let's just begin our, our, our talk. I don't know how much time i got left, five minutes probably. Okay. <laughs> Why has God chosen to reveal himself in pieces? Why is it that he split his character up amongst just, that's not, there's nine that I listed, but there's really more than that. What, you know, Jehovah El Shaddai, or Jehovah, I don't know if, if you all were talking about what I was going to preach, but whoever put, whoever put that song up, I've never ever heard that song, ever. The last song you sang, and it's just, just the Lord, I just, it's just incredible. Thank you for singing that. But why has the Lord, why has He revealed Himself in pieces unto us? Why is it that, you know, it's peace by peace, this is a part of my character, and that's a part of my, and this is a part of my character. How true it is when God spoke and said, no man can truly see me in totality and live. You cannot gaze upon my holiness and in, in all of my, my glory and, and live. There's no man that can do that. I don't know if you ever remember during, during, you know, maybe middle school where, I don't know, we did this in Canada. I don't know if you did it. I'm sure you did. But you took a, a prism. Anybody remember taking a glass prism and taking a, 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 light, a light bulb and, you know, poking a hole through a dark piece of cardboard and then having that, that one stream of pure white light go against the prism. Anybody ever do that? And then out of that prism is refracted all the colors of the rainbow. It's very similar to, you know, what, how God reveals himself to us. We can't really look at pure white light. But as it passes through prism, it really reveals the character of, of what's in white light. And you, you go through all the colors. It's the same thing with God. We can't totally look at Him in glory in what He is, and so we look at Him in pieces. We see as He's developed, or as He reveals Himself to us by His names. To try to absorb it all at once would be impossible. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and then verses 12, but verses 9 says, For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Now we understand in pieces, and we prophesy in pieces. We don't understand the full mystery of, of God, the total mystery of godliness. We don't understand it all, but we understand in pieces. And then he goes down in verses 12, for now we see through a glass darkly, 
We, we, we see in a mirror dimly. We're looking and it's kind of hazy. But when we get to heaven, then we will see him face to face. He said, now I know in part, but then I shall fully know even as I have been known. It will be revealed unto us, but not completely. It's not going to be a, you know, all the answers given to us in the blink of an eye when we get to heaven. It'll be a forever learning Christ, forever learning him. And so we begin with Jehovah Elohim. And I'm going to move quickly because i got 20 minutes. Jehovah Elohim. On the onset of looking into this initial name of God, it's good for us to understand the origination of these names in conjunction together. Everybody, if you've got a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 4. And this will change your life, I promise you. This is something that I never saw in my, all my years of ministry. Eight years ago, I remember laying on the floor of LAX airport, getting ready to fly across the South Pacific go, to go to Fiji. And I had that book in, it just photocopied because it's 100 years old. And I was going through it, and I was laying, I was literally just laying on the floor. You know those weirdos that are just laying there waiting on the plane? That was me. And uh, I was highlighting the text, and it just, it changed my whole life. Genesis chapter 2, verses 4, okay? The Bible says in Genesis 2, verses 4, And these are the generations of the heaven and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God, everybody say, Lord God. In the day that the Lord God made. That's the first time we see Lord and God put together in a conjunction. And this, I'm going somewhere tonight. This will blow your mind. I hope so. Lord God. The first time it was ever recorded in Scripture was Genesis chapter 2 and verses number 4. When God chose to reveal his full name in written form to Moses, he made a clear distinction between Jehovah and Elohim. Lord is Jehovah. Everybody say Jehovah. God, the, the, and I'm going to describe this to you, God, it means, in, in Hebrew, is Elohim. Everybody say, Elohim. There's two different words for the name of God. He said, I'm Jehovah, Elohim. But prior to Genesis chapter 2, verses 4, we see a clear distinction of how God is first introduced. Go to Genesis chapter 1 and verses number 1. We all know this from childhood. Even if you didn't go, grow up in church. In the beginning, fourth word, God. Right? In the beginning, God. It, he didn't say in the beginning, the Lord God. He said in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And as you pour through the rest of Genesis chapter 1 and into Genesis, all the way up to Genesis chapter 2 verses 3, every mention of God is Elohim only. It's just Elohim. Elohim, I'm, this is, this is going, I'm going somewhere, I'm building the foundation, Elohim only. Once he got to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 4, God changed his name to Jehovah Elohim, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. This name God here is Elohim, but what is Elohim, Stephen? What does Elohim mean? In Hebrew, the word for a deity or for God is El, only, singular, El, that's it. If they're talking about God, they would say El. But in this particular verse, we're looking at it, and he said, it says Elohim. Do you know why it means, or why it says Elohim? I'll tell you. We don't just see El here in Genesis chapter 1. We see Elohim. That's the plurality of God. Are you hearing me? There's a lot of people in this generation that have come up with all kinds of ridiculous doctrine that God is not three but he is only one. There's a oneness doctrine that is out there that 
totally denies the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I don't have time tonight to, to debate or argue that. But here is proof text for you and I, if you ever come across anybody that says, I don't believe in the Trinity, I believe that God is one. Genesis chapter 1, verses number 1, fourth word, Elohim says it's the plurality of God. What do you mean, plurality of God? Signifying the Godhead from the beginning. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Right from the very beginning. From the first verse, fourth word, the Trinity is, is right there. This makes me crazy, man. The Trinity is, is up front, okay? In the beginning, the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. That's the Father. God created. And then the Bible says, you keep going in verses 2, God spoke. Dallas, what is the spoken word of God? What is the rhema word of God? It's Jesus. It's the Son of God. You remember in, in, in uh, the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, he talks about the Word becoming flesh. No, John chapter 1, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us. So there in the beginning you have the Father, you have the Son, then the Bible says in the beginning of, of Genesis, says, and the Spirit of God hovered upon the waters, upon the face of the deep. In the very beginning, we have a proof text for the Trinity of God, all right? That's just the beginning. Okay, and it's, it's an interesting to see that God is described as Elohim only until we get to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 4. As we read the, the verses before, verses 3 and 4, you, you'll, you'll understand that uh, it, 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 he's talking about you know, just Elohim, just the totality of God. Okay, Why does God change his name? That's my question. And I'm going to try to get this to you. Why does he change his name? Elohim denotes, there's actually three attributes if I can go back here, there's three attributes that are attached to Elohim. Are you ready? The three attributes are these. Majesty, power, and glory. It kind of denotes the government side of God. His omnipotence, His rulership. The one that speaks and all the worlds come into existence. There's no relational attribute tied to Elohim at all. He is supreme. He is God in charge. There's nothing tied to him but glory, majesty, and power in Elohim, okay? But then we, we see that the, in verses 4, we see that God adds Jehovah. And this is where it gets beautiful. God adds Jehovah in the fourth verse of Genesis chapter 2. But why did he add Jehovah? It's all contingent upon what the word Jehovah means. It's out of Jehovah which in the English it translates the Lord, excuse me, where we find the fountainhead of all spiritual blessings where man is found. Before God created mankind, he was just Elohim. He was just ruler supreme. He created animals and the earth and all the grass and all the, all the birds and all this. And he, there was no need for a relational side of God. Are you following me? You with me? There's no need of a relational attribute of God. But when God created, if you go back to the end of chapter 1, you'll see that God creates man in his image and he looks at them and it's good and he says, go and replenish the earth and, and, and subdue it and enjoy. And then he changes his name to Jehovah. Let's look at what Jehovah means. It's only out of that name Jehovah that we'll understand what, at what great lengths God strives to redeem humanity back to himself. For it's out of Jehovah that we are sanctified through him. It's through Jehovah that all of God's blessings flow. It's out of Jehovah that peace saturates our life. 
It's through this word Jehovah that he's able to bring healing into our life and righteousness is able to be found. It's only in Jehovah. It's not in Elohim. Are you ready? They, uh, let's just kind of look at, well, let me actually move, move quicker because I've got 12 minutes. The word Jehovah in its root meaning is derived from the word Hava. Everybody say Hava. This is so much fun. Hava means to be. Why are you running around yet? It means to be. Not to become. Not has been. But to always be. Hava, it means to be. Always and forever, the self-existent one who possesses all essential life in himself. So let's couple Jehovah and Elohim together. Are you ready? It means this, the only being who's absolutely self-existent and is the supreme ruler that expresses himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that again. It means this, the only being that is absolutely self-existent and is the supreme ruler that expresses himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the, the Holy Spirit. So when God met Moses, y'all remember when God met Moses and said, hey, uh, uh, a, previous, a man that used to be a ruler, but now you're just a sheep herder. I want to send you back to Egypt. And, and, he, and, and Moses is arguing with God, who, who am I going to say sent me? Who, is, who, are, who do I say sent me to deliver Israel? He said, it's easy. Just tell him, Jehovah, that is Jehovah, sent you. I am that I am. Tell them that I sent you. What do you mean? Tell them that the only being that's absolutely self-existent and is the supreme ruler that expresses himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, tell them that I sent you. Just tell them that I sent you. God's response was, Jehovah, that is Jehovah sent you. So back to our question, and now I'm going to kind of wrap this up. Why did God add Jehovah to Elohim? Why is it? Why the conjunction? Why didn't he just say Elohim? Why didn't he just say God? Only God. I'll, I'll tell you. In Elohim, we see God as the majestic ruler. And out of that title comes the idea of omnipotence. Or creative and governing power. But there is nothing relationally tied to him. There was no attribute of the character of God that had any, any desire to be relationally tied to his creation. There was no rational beings yet created. There was no need for God to express his intimacy and relationship with creatures that could not appreciate the majesty of God. So when God came to complete his work and rested on the seventh day, follow me here, he turned to the one creature. You know, we are the only reasoning creature that he created. We are the only rational creature that he ever created. You can look at the animal kingdom, and there might be some smart crows and some smart parrots, but they have no rationality. They have no reason of understanding of why they do what they do, but mankind was the only rational creature. So we were the only ones that could really appreciate the majesty of God and understand a relationship with Him. I hope, I hope I'm not boring you tonight. Hear me. 
It is, it is, there was no need for God to express intimacy. When God came to complete his work, rested on the seventh day, he then turned to the one creature called man, the only creature in existence who could have the capacity for the enjoyment of God, the only one that could actually have a relationship with him. And then he presented himself, not as Elohim, not as some far distant supreme majestic being in the sky that has no relational qualities, but he presented himself to mankind, to Adam and Eve, as the Lord God. I am not just some far distant supreme narcissist that looks down from heaven waiting on your failure. I am Jehovah to you. I am Jehovah Elohim. He comes to us as Jehovah in that title as the Lord, and it's tied through Scripture every time he sees man with a need, he pulls out another attribute. Let me just finish here. Let me tell you this. There are the, there are, they, they are the essential attributes. Oh, hold on, let me go back here. He presented himself as Jehovah Elohim to him. And what, what, what comes forth from Jehovah that is not found in Elohim? I told you in Elohim, it was power, majesty, and glory, right? Three attributes of Elohim. Well, let me tell you three attributes, and this, this, this wrecked me. Three attributes of Jehovah that totally wrecked me. They are the essential attributes of God's Spirit in relationship to man. Namely, righteousness, holiness, and love. Say those with me. Righteousness, holiness, and love. And so when God created mankind, this is what we are meant to enjoy in all of its beauty, power, and spirituality. So it, when, when man was created in the garden, I want you to just follow me, I'm closing now. When man was created in the garden, he was created perfect in righteousness, he was created perfect in holiness, and he was created perfect in love. They had a love relationship, Adam and Eve with God. They were in right standing before God, righteousness. They were holy before God. There's never any sin in, that had entered their life. And for a season, they lived in perfection. And that's what God wanted for mankind. Think then how the name Jehovah brings before us the everlasting self-existence right, of righteousness and how that God created man to enjoy and exhibit that righteousness. But think about this. What happened in the garden? What happened? Adam and Eve didn't remain there. They, they, they trespassed into sin, and they fell from righteousness. Are you following me? They fell from righteousness. They're no longer righteous. They fell from righteousness. And you know what happened? They hit holiness. Three characteristics. They hit holiness. And you know what holiness does? When you're no longer righteous, it condemns you. It judges you. It, it brings you before the law. He's no longer righteous. And it begins to point the finger. But here's the beautiful part. That was not the end of it. It's not just the holiness of God looking at your unrighteousness and saying, you're not, worth, you're not worthy to be in my presence. It was then that as man fell from righteousness and hit the holiness of God and holiness condemned him, he then fell and hit the love of God. And it was the love of God. Follow me, I'm closing here. It was the love of God that so overwhelmed him that he might find or bring humanity back to himself. But by the next 
by the next attribute of God, love, he will, as Jehovah, follow me, seek to bring man back to the enjoyment of God himself. It is through his, that attribute of love that God pursues all of the people of the world, the people of, of Johnson City and the, the, the area that we live in, all the people of the earth. What, what drives me around the world to go preach the gospel to people I've never met is the love of God. He didn't leave us in condemnation. In Genesis chapter 4, musicians, if you return, because I'll be here all night. In Genesis chapter 4, where through Abel's offering, I'm closing here, we are taught how guilty sinners may approach God. Do you remember? Do you remember how God taught them afterwards it was only blood sacrifice? Do you remember that? Where God said, you can't come into my presence, now you've got to kill a, an innocent lamb and shed the blood, and then you are accepted in my presence. Through the sacrifice of another's life, we read in the last verse of that chapter where Adam names his son. After Cain sl slays Abel, Adam and Eve have another son and name him Enos. Do you know what the word, the name Enos means? It means weak and fallen man. Now follow me here. When Adam, right after that, if you look at that in the end of Genesis chapter 4, he names his son Enos, weak and fallen man. Then, right afterwards, the Bible says, then man began to call upon the name of the Lord. They, they began to call upon Jehovah because weak and fallen men will always discover at last that he requires more than the, than the omnipotent rulership of Elohim. Weak and fallen men need more than just a supreme ruler that's out there somewhere. They need a relational God, a God that will come beside them and say, through my love, I will redeem you back to myself. It doesn't matter how far, how, how, how deep I have to pull you. He needs the holiness and love of the great covenant God with whom he was meant to have the relationship of companionship and whom Jehovah intends to bring back to himself. Stand with me, would you? So for, for thousands of years, for thousands of years, Wherever God is working for the redemption of mankind, He always speaks of Himself as Jehovah. He never presents Himself as Elohim. Always Jehovah, the love of God. Always. It's not just the government side of God, but it's the mercy, the grace, the long-suffering kindness of God. Always. When he sent Moses to deliver Israel, it was the Lord. It was Jehovah that spoke. And he said this three times in Exodus chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. He says, it says, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I'll bring you out. My love will take you out of captivity. I will be a God to you, and you will know that I am not just Elohim, but I am Jehovah. I love you. Verses 8, I will give it to you for a heritage. He's talking about the land. For I am the Lord. God is a covenant-keeping God. And Jehovah will do everything through the attribute of love and redeem his people to himself, even at the cost of his own son. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It is the love of God that sent Christ to the cross. It is not Elohim, but it was Jehovah. And as you study through the names of God and you get into Jehovah Jireh, you understand that it's through his love that he wants to provide. Jehovah Shalom, it is the love of God that brings peace to you. Jehovah Mekadishkim, it is his love towards us that he covers us and covers our sin. He sanctifies us. Jehovah Sidkenu, he's our righteousness. He's our shepherd. He's the Lord. Amen. He so ordered his name, and it's incredible. As you read through your Bible, you know, people think this is boring. It sure ain't. It's unbelievable if you study it. And as you open the text and you begin to really get deep in the Word of God, you'll see that first he's Jehovah Elohim. And then he's Jehovah Jireh because man needed him to be Jehovah Jireh. And then he's Jehovah Rohi. And on and on in progression. It's incredible. And then you get into the New Testament, and his name is Jesus. It is Jehovah revealed in the flesh. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this privilege, oh God. This privilege, Father, of just doing this Bible study tonight with Grace Meadows. I thank you for who you are. Lord, you're so much more than just God. So much more than just someone out there that desires a partial relationship and is aloof from us. Father, you are so much more. Your love for us so constrained you to send your son. Your love pursues us in our deepest, darkest days. I thank you. I thank you that you're relentless in your pursuit of us. You send us around the world in missions, this church and this community to go and seek and save that which was lost. Father, I pray right now that we might never look at you the same. When we come to you in your word, we might understand that you're not just God, but you're Jehovah Elohim. You are holiness, righteousness, and love towards us. And you become all things for us that we might be with you. I ask you, Lord, over this congregation as we worship tonight, that you, O oh God, would meet the needs, that you'd heal, you'd deliver, Father, that's your name. It's bound up in your nature. You are a covenant, contract-keeping God. And who you are is bound up in your character. And I pray, Father, if there's any need in this house tonight, the needs, Lord, as Brother Matt brought the needs forth and people spoke from the floor of, of healings and cancer, Lord, I pray and I call upon Jehovah Rofi, the healer, that you would heal the needs of this people. God, that you'd provide for men and women in this congregation tonight that are in need of provision. Lord, maybe a financial provision, maybe emotional strength. I just ask you, oh God, maybe there's somebody here tonight that needs you to be Jehovah Shalom. Peace in their house because peace has saturated their home with its absence. Father, maybe somebody tonight needs you to be Jehovah Shammah. That is just here, just here. I ask you, Father, that you'd be with us. 
be with every single need tonight. In Jesus' name. Would you worship with us for just a moment before Dallas comes?